0: Big Pharma Conspiracy Theories, The Role of Government During an Epidemic, and How to Connect with Others in Healthy Christian Fellowship. This is On Life, A Unified Heterogeneity, and I'm Jamie Sinclair. Episode 1. So recently we've been in the midst of the, the COVID-19 shutdown, and s- several people have communicated with me regarding some big pharma conspiracies. Uh, and f- firstly, let me say, I am definitely somewhat skeptical of government, somewhat skeptical of big business and somewhat skeptical of conspiracy theorists. Now I-, I don't mean to use conspiracy theory as a pejorative or to say it's necessarily false, but when people have a theory regarding a, at the top conspiracy for something super evil, uh, I'm going to need some decent evidence to buy into it, uh, I remember I was younger maybe in high school when 9/11 happened I was 15 years old yeah 15 years old and I remember you know I remember the Tuesday morning when the towers fell I'm sure many of you guys remember that too and that was significant and in the aftermath there was a lot of there were questions who are these people who who's uh who is al-Qaeda and who's Osama bin Laden and what's happening and I also remember in the midst of that there was a movement trying to understand what did the U.S. government know about this? Was, was there any involvement? And, and some of you guys might know the term "9/11 truther." Uh, the truthers actually, uh, many of them said it was some sort of inside job. At least some of the attacks. Uh, some people claimed that the, the 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 plane that hit the Pentagon was actually a cruise missile. That the Twin Towers collapsed because there had been. Uh, not from the planes hitting them, but actually because there were explosives lining the 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 trusses and and you know the the central beams that held the structure up. So there and there were some really compelling and interesting videos put together, and they, they made a lot of uh, observations that I think had some merit to them. But then they would like ultimately lead to this massive claim. I'm like, well, n- none of the other claims you made, although interesting and maybe somewhat merit. Meritorious, those do not support this massive central claim. Similarly, what I've seen in some of these videos are are claims that that seem like clear and valid observations. One claim would be there's been an overcounting or or an overly generous counting of covid nineteen related deaths. Uh, and I think if this is the fact, then it's pretty concerning unless that's very forwardly stated every time covid nineteen related deaths are mentioned. Um, I've seen quotations from CDC guidelines that uh, appear to to be telling doctors if someone dies basically for any reason, but if they test positive for COVID-19, it's a COVID death. And if somebody dies and they don't test positive, but it seems like it's COVID symptoms, it's a COVID death. Uh, I've seen multiple attestations from various sane sounding doctors uh, stating that this is what's happening. This is also a claim that seems plausible to me. Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if this is the case. I don't know for certain, but it's probably true. And And it is troubling. Like I said, it's troubling when numbers are rounded up, overcounted, generously counted, but it's not being presented very clearly that this is the fact. Uh, and And I think there are some possible explanations for why this is happening. One explanation is to justify, the uh, very extreme response to COVID-19. I'm not saying the response, the shutdowns, closing schools, closing businesses. Uh, right, right now, I don't want to talk about that per se, but I want to say that those are massive and, and in some ways unprecedented responses to a pandemic. And overcounting could be to try to justify after the fact, no, this really was necessary. Look at all these deaths. Um, it could also be to incite further fear. Um, fear causes the masses to be compliant with kind of the, the, the dictates of those in charge. Uh, fear would potentially make the masses more readily accepting of a vaccine when it becomes available. So, so I could, this is a, an interesting observation. It's probably true. I don't know for a fact, but that makes sense. And some of these conspiracy video theory videos that they're, they're presenting observations like this, but but the ultimate claim that I'm seeing is that Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, and other high level elites are trying to downplay or even actively prevent the provisioning of treatments for COVID-19 in order to increase financial profits from an eventual vaccine. This is a massive claim. Uh, if this is true, it is great evil. Um, If Bill Gates and Fauci are are purposefully allowing people to die, knowing that there is a a treatment that would help, but discouraging its use in order to ultimately profit financially, that is straight up evil. Uh, It's horrendous. That would be alarming for sure. It's possible. It doesn't seem particularly likely uh, that, that Bill Gates is trying to Profit from this, that wouldn't surprise me. That he might be trying to appear as some sort of Messiah or Savior, that doesn't surprise me that much, if that's true. But intentionally killing many people towards that end, again, possible, not sure it's that likely. Uh, So without some compelling and clear evidence, I'm not going to buy into it. And there's little evidence that I've seen. Uh, Again, an observation that the COVID deaths are being generously counted is Categorically different from purposefully allowing lots of people to die to financially profit. I've seen some evidence put forward in various videos, references to, to patents and research that's been published, some of it as old as 2004, 5, 6, 7, some of it as recent as like November 2019. And, and they're, they're material that use phrases like coronavirus or SARS. And it's put forward as evidence that there are scientists and people in in high places who've been working on something and they want to profit off of COVID-19. The thing is this, the coronavirus that we're talking about for COVID-19, it itself is somewhat novel. But you have to realize that it's one coronavirus of many. It's SARS coronavirus 2. There was already a SARS coronavirus 1. There are many other coronaviruses. In fact, who hasn't had a common cold? Like, 20 times. Uh, If you've had a common cold five times, then you most likely had the coronavirus at least once. Coronavirus causes about 20% of the common colds that we experience. Uh, There are other viruses like the rhinovirus and RSV that also cause the common cold, but the coronavirus itself is not new. Uh, SARS is not new. There was a SARS epidemic in two thousand. 2003 in Southeast Asia. And so, yeah, th- there's been research into the coronavirus for decades. There's been research into SARS for almost 20 years now. So the fact that there's a patent somewhere that says coronavirus or SARS is not in itself at all meaningful regarding some sort of conspiracy uh, in regards to COVID-19 and the current crisis. So, yeah, in a nutshell, I- I'm I'm always open to theories, but if theories don't have some clear and compelling Evidence behind them, I'm going to dismiss them pretty quickly because this is just—it's uh, implausible. It—it it, if it—if it's true, and somebody finds some clear and compelling evidence, I will jump on board. But until then, let's think well for the glory of God. Uh, somebody else brought up to me just kind of the government's handling of this. They asked me uh, to explain how it's not the government's job to protect our health. Okay, well, I'm not sure. Like, I, I 100% necessarily agree with that. I'm not an anarchist. I believe that government is good, that it's appropriate to have government. Let me briefly make a biblical case for government. In Romans chapter 13, the apostle Paul's writing, he's writing to believers at Rome. This is the Roman empire. Uh, Possibly Nero is Caesar at the time. It's before the, the widespread persecution of Christians by the Roman government, but this is not exactly the ideal setting. And this is what, What we read Romans chapter 13, verse 1 Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid? Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? do what is good and you will have its approval for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason for it is God's servant, an Avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Okay. So you might notice a couple of things here. One is that there's some assumption that uh, government is doing good and appropriate things and re- rewarding those who do good and punishing those who do evil. That's definitely not always the case. Uh, And what we see clearly in scripture is there are moments where Christians straight up disobey governing authorities. And we can get into that some other time. But here's what I really want you to catch here. Paul does not say government is not God's idea. Government is a result of, uh, you know... It is, it's somehow sinful in and of itself, and, and Christians should be anarchists and throw off the, the constraints of the state. Uh, I'm not an anarchist. I don't think the Bible teaches us to be anarchists. In fact, we see at times God using government in really special and significant ways. Uh, I'm not saying that government, I don't want to put God in a box and be like, that happened once. It has to happen all the time. But, but check out the story. In Genesis chapter 41, we read about Pharaoh's dream. And, and Joseph is told the dream, uh, Joseph is, he, he fears the Lord and God actually allows Joseph to interpret the dream. And what the dream was, was, well, I'll just read it. Genesis 41, let's see, verse 28. It is just as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place and all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. So, so pause real quick. Pharaoh had a dream about like cows and grain. And uh, so Joseph is interpreting and saying, there's going to be seven years of abundance, seven years of famine. And then he says this in verse 33. So now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the excess food during these years, good years that are coming up, that are coming under Pharaoh's authority, store the grain in the cities so that they may preserve it as food. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the country will not be wiped out by the famine. So what we see is for seven years, they implement a 20% income tax on the gross, I believe. Yeah. the, The gross income. This is like a major taxation project. The state stores it and then redistributes through seven years of lack or, or famine so that people don't starve. Um, I, I'm not proposing that we should always have a 20% income tax by the state and that we should always have a massive redistribution program by the state. But the point is, that while it wasn't God himself, this God gave Pharaoh a dream. He gave Joseph the interpretation so that they could find a solution to provide for people, and ultimately, not only was Egypt saved in this, but Joseph's family, Jacob, his brothers, they were they were preserved. The people of God. Uh, so basically, biblically, there's a place for government. Government can can certainly. I am not an anarchist, so I just want to get that straight up front. That said, I am heavily influenced by a very simple idea that we find in first Timothy 2 because it' so it so well explains to me to me something that I see uh, problems that I see throughout the history of humanity. There's a prayer that Paul calls believers to pray in first Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. first of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a quiet and tranquil may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. History has taught me to be wary of government. Government quickly moves from... Uh, providing the, the basics for a safe, healthy society into that where we're allowed to lead tranquil and quiet lives and all godliness and dignity. And they quickly move into telling us what it means to live these lives. Part of Christian history includes believers killing other believers because they disagree on whether or not to baptize infants or precisely what's happening when we take the Lord's Supper. Things like this are tragic, but, but they're not some isolated incident one time in Christian history. It's, it's common to governments throughout the globe, throughout history. Governments tend to move towards tyranny. They they increase in their scope, and they increase in authoritarian control, and this actively violates the spirit of 1 Timothy 2. Pray that the government leaves you alone to worship Jesus, allows you to live a a quiet and tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. We should pray against a a government that, that invades our lives and tries to tell us what to do where it's just like, allow me to freely worship Jesus. We should pray against a government that gets in the way of us living quiet and tranquil lives with all godliness and dignity. And when given the opportunity, which we clearly have in the United States of America, we should actively allow God to use us as agents through whom the Lord works to answer these prayers. So as I noted, I'm not an anarchist. I'm not a push to government. I think government is is good and has a rightful place in our lives today it's god can use government can use government to provide for basic safety and even for the the uh, survival of a people in a really divine provision type way that said in light of 1 Timothy 2 and seeing 1 Timothy 2 mapped out onto the the, the tendency of human governments throughout the the millennia and around the globe to, to act in a very tyrannical way that, that violates the ability for the people of God just to simply worship the Lord um, with with a in 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 a way that's kind of following their, their theology and and their their conscience. Uh, I I've seen I uh, kind of embrace two basic ideas regarding government. As much as possible less government and as much as possible local government. Let me talk about these two briefly. Uh, less means if, if, if there's a space where something could be maybe improved, is there a way for, for people to step up and serve in this space without government? Because the thing is, as soon as government gets involved, it's no longer people simply volunteering to help. Behind government is always a, a threat of coercive force. Meaning, it's radically different for me as your neighbor to be like, Hey, it would be great if you donated blood at the, the Red Cross drive that's happening next week. I've donated blood a few times. I'm terrified of needles. So it always takes me like forever to work up the courage, honest confession. Um, but it, it, what an amazing thing. But it's categorically different for me to suggest people donate blood than it is for the government to require people to donate blood. Because then what if somebody doesn't donate blood? Well, maybe they're not doing their best as a neighbor. Okay. Okay. But when the government starts requiring it, now all of a sudden there's there's some sort of list of violations potentially that could lead to a bench warrant and even an arrest. And if they don't cooperate with that, how do they get arrested? People literally physically go and, and manhandle them and potentially draw weapons. And it just, that's when you get government involved in telling people what to do, that's the path it can head down. And it's like, hey, Could we keep it in the domain of a suggestion? So like even with the government, maybe there's a good thing to do. Does the government need to require it or can they suggest? For example, with the shutdown, rather than the government mandating masks, could they start at least with a, hey, we recommend all persons wear masks when in public. Uh, We recommend private businesses require people who enter to wear a mask. Switch to a no shirt, no shoes, no mask, no service type policy. Uh, private businesses could do that. The government could make that recommendation. That's less government, the, the government not needing to step in and be coercive in those areas. Furthermore, the principle of local government works like this. Uh, when, when government makes some sort of uh, mandate or, or dictate that's backed with co- coercive force, uh, the more centralized it is, Well, the more bad news there is if it happened to not be the best recommendation or mandate, like if a mandate comes from Washington, it affects 300 and what, 330 million people. Whereas if a mandate comes from St. Lawrence County, it affects 107,000 or something like that. Uh, so, So it radically changed the scope of. What if the wrong mandate's given? How many people are affected by this? But it also allows people who are close to the problem to see how it works. A, a classic for me. I reference the early 2000s a lot when I'm, when I'm talking about uh, political ideas because that's kind of my coming of age. I was in high school when No Child Left Behind was passed. And I remember thinking in that moment, this is a perfect example of why we want local uh, people in washington designing standardized tests to to judge schools on like the, the people who understand these kids best are their parents are their teachers uh, like give parents and teachers the freedom to to connect with and uh train and teach these kids a, a, a countrywide mechanism of standardized testing to to rate and score schools and teachers with uh, it's just it's it's going to necessarily not be fair and not really serve kids in many situations as best as they can be served, and so we want less government and local government as much as possible. That said, there are clearly there clearly is a need for local government. There's a need for state government, national government. I I see appropriate scenarios for them, and I would add uh, to the extent that it's it's ever appropriate to have. Uh, Central and a big, a big central government response to something—it's with something like a national pandemic. Um, certainly, I have lots of thoughts on particulars, and I do wish the government approached this much more from a uh, guidelines, advisories, and suggestions than a bunch of mandates and arresting people. Uh, but. I I think yeah I think there's a lot more there's a lot more of a role for government in a pandemic situation than in a normal everyday situation. So I will not try to talk my friend uh, to talk to my friend about how it's not the government's job to protect our health um, because I think at times there might be a place for government to be involved in something like that. But generally speak, speaking, smaller, local. My big thought regarding the shutdown and COVID-19 stuff is why not more advisory warnings and suggestions rather than the mandates? Uh, It definitely somewhat troubles me that government so quickly, even in America, where we really have a a very generous and I would say generally very positive embrace of of civil, civil liberties and freedom, there's still this tendency in a moment, government's going to take control and decide what's right and force it on people through coercive force. Uh, that makes me pretty uncomfortable given the history of human governments and the prayer that we should pray from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's pray for those who are over us that we might lead tranquil, quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. A question that came in. How to connect and truly fellowship in a world where busy lives and social media has made conversation and true relationship difficult. Okay. Social media can be an amazing tool to connect with people in your immediate vicinity, to connect with friends and relatives across the globes, but it's important to be honest about the role of social media in your life. It's so easy for it to become a time sink, for it to become toxic, for it to become something that just... Really, it's, it uh, It feeds like all the bad things and none of the good things. Um, I, I think it can be a tool for really healthy and deep Jesus-centered connections and exchanging interesting ideas and helping to shape us. But it, I, I would say the majority of social media use probably isn't that profitable. So be honest about the role of social media in your life. Be honest about all sorts of scheduled activities you know, today, it's so easy to fill our lives with classes and sports and trips and clubs, um, and those can be great things, but I've also seen very directly in, in pastoral ministry, I've seen people who, whose lives are uh, not particularly healthy, and they're really stretched thin, and in the midst of that, they sign up for more. It's like, let's be honest about scheduled activities in our lives Uh Let's be honest with others. Maybe even ask somebody for help. You know, uh, don't purposely uh, make mistakes so you can ask for help for this reason. But when, when we see areas in our lives where we need to grow and we reach out and ask for help, that itself can be uh, the first step of a really healthy and close friendship and, and Jesus-centered relationship. You know, two people might be great friends, but it'll only be a healthy Christian Friendship with with real biblical fellowship if they're both in relationship with Jesus. So here's a thought: if you want to walk and connect and you know true fellowship and have meaningful relationship with other believers, make sure you're investing in your relationship with Jesus. Um, regular prayer, Bible study, personal worship. I like uh, I I can just sit down and spend time with Jesus, but I really enjoy taking a walk or when i'm in the car like there's something about it in that moment uh it just frees your mind to just be like hey i'm just gonna chill with jesus for a bit here and uh i i, I listen to a lot of podcasts part of why i'm doing this podcast i love podcasting as a medium but i have uh, many times in the past couple of years purposely like i i go to reach for my earbuds when i'm taking a walk or get in the car i'm like no this this is like some really important jesus time right here and so be honest about the role of social media in your life. Be honest about your scheduled activities. Be honest with others. That that itself could be a healthy relationship bridge. But also be honest, where are you at with Jesus? Because sometimes I think we feel very distant from the people around us, and it's we're distant from the Lord. And so I, I would encourage you in those things. Um, some practical tips. Serve and invest in local church. Um, obviously, in this moment of shutdown, it's it's difficult and maybe, you know, leveraging phones and computers to communicate is the best thing. But but certainly when possible, move beyond that. I, I've encouraged people so many times, don't just say hi to somebody at church, schedule a, a coffee meetup later in the week, uh, get involved in a ministry. When we serve together, there's a real connection that happens. Um Speaking of social media, by the way, I'm all for social media if being used in a healthy, responsible, and edifying way. But a phone call can be so much more meaningful. And even I've had multiple people over the years with whom I've had some sort of interaction on Facebook that's like, yeah, I don't know if that was great. (laughs) Kind of like, I don't know if they misunderstood me. And it just seems like a little heated rather than trying to solve things on a computer I just gave him a ring. And I think a, it totally surprised them. B it totally showed. I really care about you. I'm not just trying to win some stupid debate online. Uh, I I love you. I care about you. And instantly like all the tension, I was like, there's so much like, what does that person really mean? Are they joking right now? Are they being sarcastic. Are they, are they upset or are they just into the, this idea discussion? Give somebody a phone call. Um, uh, another thought on relationship and healthy relationship with other people, uh, I'm not sure this is an area I particularly excel in myself, but I know this, there are a number of people who are welcome to speak into my life and they know it. And there are a number of people regarding whom I, I feel like I can speak into their lives as a friend. They're obviously, I'm a pastor for those of you who don't know. So lots of people that I, I feel like as a pastor, I have a place to speak into their lives. But there are also people that I'm like, just as a friend, I have a place to speak into their lives. And if, if you're in a place where you have a healthy relationship with Jesus and, and there are believers in your life and and you have a relationship with them where they're welcome to speak into your life, you're welcome to speak into theirs, I would say you're well on your way to some really healthy, good, godly relationships. Spend time with those people, invest in them. Um, but sometimes I think I think we think... I know I've thought at times, man, if I find that like correct kind of relationship, like happily ever after, uh, it doesn't usually work out quite like that. Like life's real, people change, times change. Sometimes you feel super close to somebody and they're not quite as close. Uh, That's part of real life. And I think sometimes we have these almost fantastic expectations that are impossible to meet because ultimately we need to be known and met in a way that only Jesus can know and meet us. Uh, Other people are always going to lead us down if we're putting all of our relational hope in those around us. That said, we were definitely made for community. It's important to have close friends. It's also important to welcome the many. Here's a big idea. There's a a pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, He's got some great ideas on leadership. And one of the things he he mentioned was um, uh, some of us, especially people who have a tendency to to be in positions of leadership, we just want to solve problems. And, and obviously, it's good to be like the chief problem solver when you're in charge. But there are some areas in life where it's not simply a problem to solve. It's attention tension to manage. And I think relationships is one of those. M- meaning, it is important for every one of us to have a few people that we are really close to. They, they have permission to speak into our lives or, or go into them with ideas and feel free to like pray with each other, etc. But we also want to be welcoming to the many be prepared to to host and be hospitable towards the stranger, the alien. That's part of our biblical call is, is to to be that kind of Jesus welcomed the multitudes, but he also lived life with the 12, right? There, there's kind of this both. And there are seasons, there are seasons where maybe you feel like God's saying you really need to invest in and focus in a few close key relationships, you know, maybe for the next six months, every Friday night or Sunday afternoon, I'm going to invite over like one of three people or maybe all three. And we're just going to like grow real close in a bond. But there are also seasons where it's like maybe every week I'll have a a different person, some coworker, a a neighbor, uh, somebody I met in church, but I'm not close to like welcoming the stranger. And it's, it's, it's wrong if it's one or the other, it's, it should be both. And maybe in certain seasons, there's an emphasis on we're really going to, protect, carve out a family night and protect that time or an emphasis on we're going to like connect with new people and host somebody. You know, there's a program at St. Lawrence University right here in the town I live in where there are international students and they actually allow people in the community to kind of like host an international student. You could connect with them and you commit to you know, being in their life regularly over the course of a few months. Like, so there are moments for that and, and it's their seasons. And so I just want to encourage you certainly uh, we are made for relationship, relationship with Jesus, relationship with people around us. It is important as Christians to be in Christian fellowship with other believers. So invest in your relationship with Jesus, be honest about social media, be honest about activities, be honest about some areas where you're weak, you need to grow, be honest with others. That actually itself might be a, a gateway into some significant relationship, serve, invest in local church, Um and remember there's a there's a tension and there's not it's not a problem to solve of we need some close friends and we need to welcome the many well this has been fun thanks for joining me in this i'd love to hear from you guys for information on this podcast go to jamiesinclair.com to send in a question or thoughts for the podcast text 315-566-0056. That'll go straight to my email with a label for the podcast. So I'll be able to keep it pretty organized. Again, that's 315-566-0056. My hope is that many of you will save that number in your contacts, just call it like Jamie Sinclair podcast or on life or whatever. And just throughout the week as, as, Ideas come, questions come that you feel like, hey, this would be really interesting to explore and to think about in a way that really honors the Lord. Please shoot me a text. My intention is to release something every Wednesday. We'll see how that goes. I'm 100% open to inputs, input on the audio quality, input on the kinds of things we talk about, input on length. I can guarantee I won't be able to make everybody happy, but I'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Peace.